This is Joseph Barone, Corporate Learning Consultant with A Fool for Learning, and today I'm joined by Ron Citrin of Long & Foster Real Estate. Before we jump into our topic for today, uh, let me tell you a little bit about my guest. And, and by the way, our, our topic for today is, what do I do with my childhood home? Ron is a leader in the Washington, D.C. real estate scene. He's consistently ranked among the top 1% of realtors nationwide and among the top 30 agents within the Long and Foster, within Long and Foster. Considering that Long and Foster has over 11,000 agents just in the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic regions, this is truly an amazing achievement. Now, I've, I, I've met Ron and I know Ron from Network Bethesda, which is the weekly breakfast meeting of our local business professionals where ideas, conversation, and referrals are exchanged. And so, Ron, welcome today to Foolish Thoughts, and what do I do with my child at home? Thank you for having me. So, so Ron, like many people in my age bracket, which I'm, I'm almost 57, uh, my parents have both passed away. My dad, uh, my mom passed away a number of years ago, but dad passed away about a year ago, and we have his house, and um, the house is a, is a nice house. Uh, it's a brick house. It was built in 62. Um, it, it uh, has a, it, but it's a little dated, you know, the, the house was updated a little bit in the 80s with a little new kitchen, new cabinets, kind of those oak cabinets, but some parts are still a little dated. The, the bathroom, it still has that green tile because dad didn't want to spend the money on fixing up the bathroom. You know, he says, hey, the toilet yeah. works, that's, that's all that matters. <laughs> um, uh, but it is a little dated. It still has the original hot water heating system, but it, it's a, in my opinion, you know, the houses that were built at that time and all the ones in my neighborhood are, are fairly solid homes. They're, they're, they're structurally, I think, in really good shape. But I've got this home and I'm not really quite certain what to do with it. You know, I, I, I don't want to keep it anymore. I've, I've, I've take, gone through it and I've thrown some stuff out and I've taken what I want, like his military discharge papers and my mom's wedding ring and the photo albums, but we've got a lot of stuff still in there. You know, it is hard when you're trying to, to work full time and, and trying to clean out the house. But, you know, I, I think it's time to, to let go of my, my childhood home. So, so Ron, I've come to you as an expert in this area, someone who really knows what they're doing, someone who's been around in the business quite a while. And what should I do? What's, what's the yeah. first thing I should do? Help me here. Give me some advice because I know there are lots of people in my situation out there. Yes, of course. And first, I'm you know sorry about your loss. Thank I know you. it still still seems recent, I, I suppose. And you know, selling the home you grew up in, it's a very um, there's a lot of emotions tied mm -hmm. into that. It's uh, and and there sometimes are conflicting emotions. There's the attachment to the home. There's the these the memories that are there. Um, and then the extreme other end of this is, you know, these homes have appreciated quite a bit and there's typically no mortgage on them. And at the time of sale, the disposition of, of, of the house to a new buyer, uh, there's going to be a lot of money coming into the estate that gets distributed to the, to the beneficiaries. And, and, and you're right about that. It is, it is, uh, my assumption is it's appreciated because I look at the other houses being sold around and I'm like, wow. And, and also things have changed in the area. When, when, when my parents moved into that house, there was no hospital nearby. There were no, the elementary schools definitely weren't there. So yeah, things have really changed. Yeah, and so so we really need to start, when you really are thinking about what do we do here, 
is 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 first off understanding that what does there, there let's start from the top there's two decision makers there's two elements I mean, there's one person that the will typically will say or a trust document will typically say this person is in charge and has the legal authority to make all decisions however this is a family dynamic and just because one person has that authority doesn't mean they should be can they yes but but the family continuity the family health is really important so as a family first you want to get a sense of, hey, how do we want to, what is our game plan here? And you're going to look at it in different ways. First, a house that you've described typically like this has, uh, can have 60 years of things that have just accumulated in it. Oh, yes. That's, uh, oh, yes. Right? And there are more than 60 years yeah. considering dad was in his 90s when he passed away. Right. And, and there may be things he brought to the house that we yeah. predate that. So, so we want to divide these things into three buckets. What are the things that the family still wants? Okay. And and whether they have value on the open market or whether they're just, you know, pictures of the family. It doesn't matter what they are. It's just what does the family want? We want to figure out how to get those out of the house to whoever they're going to within the family. You need to have some equitable way of, of deciding who gets what. But, but that's step, you know, that's bucket one. Bucket two is... All the things that are remaining in the house that have value to someone, but nobody in the family actually wants, you know, that amazing and, you know, the antique table or the, the dining room set or whatever it is. No one wants it because everyone has their own and they just right. don't want it. But there's probably a family out there um, that would either a be willing to pay for it or just as a donation would love to have it. Right. And then C, it's this, all the things, and this is probably a big chunk of, the, of what's in the house, that just no one wants. You can't give it away, and no one's certain no one's going to pay for it. You just need to get it out. So, so let me just make sure I understand. There, are, you know, in in trying to figure out what to do with everything, there there are three basic categories: buckets, tubs, whatever you want to call them. There's giant bins, giant bins, <laughs> giant, giant dumpsters, maybe yeah, yeah. Um, at least one dumpster. Yeah. Um, they're the things that I and family members want. And if we haven't figured that out, that's something we probably should do. There are those items that nobody wants, but someone else might want. We may be able to sell, give away, do something with them. And then there's the, the junk. The stuff that nobody wants, nobody can use, you know, that that broken pot that mom kept around and dad kept around because it's a pot, it's good, and dad being from the Depression era, you never threw anything yes. out. Yeah. So, yes, we have a number of those things, Makes the sense. old telephone, and, and, the tele and the I can, yeah. I, the, the stories I could tell and arguing with my father about that. So we've got these three buckets. So. What's next with these three buckets? What do we do? All right, so bucket number one, the things that are important to the family member, we wanna get those. So, so let's, if we take a step back, we're talking about the movement of items, of personal things out of the house to a new, to a, to a new place. And one of the things people fail to realize is the amount of weight, the physical weight that we're now talking about moving. Mm -hmm. And people, it's, it's very, in the early steps, people are like, oh, I'll just go over there on a Saturday. And I'll put some stuff in my car. It, you can't. I mean, unless it's a limited number of things, it's really hard to do. The, the amount of physical weight that you're lifting, the amount of volume of things that you're removing, it's really, 
I find typically too much for someone to do on a weekend by weekend basis. You could do it and you can think you're saving money. I'm willing to bet the reality is the cost of owning the house that much longer just through property taxes, insurance yeah. and maintenance is going to be greater than the cost of hiring somebody to help you. Yeah, and it has been. I mean, the cost of making sure we pay the taxes on it, making sure we have the heating going on, certain amount of air conditioning over the year, the grass being cut, all those things. Gutters clean. The gutters oh, clean. You know, and yes, I can do some of that, and, I, and I've been doing some of that. But even there, even though there's not a, a monetary layout for some of that, there is a personal investment. There's that whole, you know, um, what's that economic term that that's used? The um, it's just the it's just the best the use cost, of your time. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's cost benefit. Cost, cost benefit. Cost benefit. Yeah. Cost benefit, or that hidden cost that you know, what's my time worth? And you know, if, if I spend an hour of my time and my time is a hundred dollars an hour, and I'm mowing the lawn, well, it's a hundred dollars I could be earning somewhere else. So or just or time you could be spending yeah. with you know family, family right? Or absolutely. Front. So there are organizations that actually specialize in the movement of these, of these personal pieces of property. And that what's important to know is in today's world, remember the family members that want things could be anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world. Now, if they're anywhere in the world, it's hard to get them, get these things to right. them. But if they, right. you know, let's say they move to California and they want certain items, another sibling may be in, uh, in Texas and they want certain items and maybe there's two siblings local and they want items. So we want to get those items shipped to where they need to go. So, so let me just stop for a moment and ask you, what are you typically finding in your experience? Do, are there rel, are there people out there who really want the credenza from, from the, that French provincial credenza or are they really saying, you know, I, I want, I want the ring. I want the little tchotchke on the, on the mantle, maybe I want the painting. Uh, well, you know, growing up in New York, we learned Yiddish yes, too. Yes, yes, um, yes. So, do you want? Do you want the? What What are you seeing so, people so, say? Well, they here's want? the funniest thing: is is um, you know, let's say you're, um, you know, one of the people that's inheriting these. You know, one of the people that grew up in the house has married somebody else, mm -hmm. and let's say the person they married is zero tolerance for clutter and they're like i want all the and the other person's like and none of that's coming in our house right so so just remember even though it's leaving one family unit to go to another family unit uh the entire family unit on the receiving end has to be willing to receive it True. not just the one beneficiary um you know the, the bloodline it's the everyone that's married in as part of this collective reception but the point being is we do find that people want things and some things may be just because it has a sentimental value right, right. and some things may be because it actually has a financial worth. And, um, and some things it may just be paper records mm -hmm. that you just feel we just need to have them stored somewhere right. just for some period of time. Uh, the point being is that there's organizations that can come to the property and, and you can point out, okay, we want this and this and this going to the California group. We want this, this, and this going to the Texas group. The two people that live locally, they're just going to come pick it up. And many, many times it may be too heavy for them to pick up. So we're going to have the movers bring it there. The, what's happened at this point is we've reached our first level of clarity of we're thinning out. It's, it's, we're, we've made it, we've taken a huge chunk of things in the house that need to get out of the house. And we've hit the first threshold and it provides simplicity for everything else that needs to happen. So how do I find out about these organizations? Can I come to someone like you? Do you have a, a list of people that you trust that can do this for me? 
Yes, and, and I think any realtor that's been doing this long enough will have a will have okay. what I call their select people that they know are very good at this. And they can be trusted that things will not be stolen, damaged, that sort of stuff too. Because, you know, I mean, there are some things that, you know, you, you know yeah, yeah. And, and you don't know who these people are coming in the house. And someone that I would want to trust that, you know, that I want to know that, you know, Ron, if you tell me that we're going to get XYZ company coming in, that they're, they're a good, reputable company, and I'm not going to have to worry about things being stolen. Yeah, and I mean, it may sound crazy, but it's important. Yeah, no, you want to work with an, a company that's insured and bonded mm -hmm. and, and licensed to do what they're mm -hmm. doing. Uh, and you want to, and that's a big part of a real estate agent's uh, value is providing those type of referrals okay. to help you get through that. Okay. Once that's done, though, that it it, it will provide a sense of relief. It'll mm -hmm. be sort of one of the be one of the first thresholds that you cross. Mm -hmm. Because now remember, we still have two more buckets of things right. that are in the house, right? right? We have the things that are of value to either a family in need or things that are perhaps even saleable. Uh, with respect to those items, there's two ways to, to dispose of them. Okay. There's companies that will come pick it up and they'll bring it to their warehouse and sell it from there. And there's um, some companies that will say, my goodness, you have a lot of stuff in this house. We should be having an estate sale here. And so you can have an estate sale on the premise and they'll come and they'll inventory everything, they'll price everything and they'll, they'll market it. There's, you know, it's whatever, it's really dependent on what's in the property and what the actual um, amount of dollar volume that they anticipate they can get from the sales. So let's, let's, if you don't mind me going back a step. So the first option you gave where they take everything and they bring it to some sort of warehouse location. Right. How does that typically work? Do they say, is it a consignment? Do they, they, they say, you know, well, your, your stuff here, you got a lot of nice stuff. We'll give you $10,000 for it. How, how does that work? A, a lot of bit? times it will be on consignment. Okay. You know, um, there might be some, but that, that's how the industry tends to work. They don't okay. take possession of, of most of the items. They're just trying to get it, sell it and whatever they get for it. You know, right. the owner, and, original owner gets a piece and just, of it. You know, in consignment, I know consignment shops sometimes will say, if it's after 30 days, you take it back, we bring it back or donate it. Generally, how do they work in your understanding? Um, I don't know if there's a take it back rule, but just because I haven't, I haven't come. A, I guess my role in this, I haven't okay. found that it's been coming back to me as, "Hey, Ron, we have problems now that we've tried to do this. It didn't work out." Okay. Typically, I think if you're working with reputable uh, vendors, it just tends to be a non-issue going okay. forward. And and on the real, re, the on the um, estate sales side, uh, my my assumption is, and, and I could be wrong. Is they take a if, if they sell it for you, they take a percentage of that. Is that typically the way they work, like a ten percent or fifteen percent? Yeah, I think it might even be more than that. But okay. but and I don't know what that percentage is, and it can vary from from agent to from, agent, from uh, company, company. company to company that okay. does this. But the point being that you've now accomplished is you've brought up. Assuming you're going down this route, most people don't go down that route. Just, I mean, you see estate sales right, all the time, right, right. but if you really think of the vast majority of homes, they don't have enough in them to actually have it. Most, uh, but in the event that you're doing that, what you're having happening is from a Thursday to a to a Monday or Tuesday, you have a lot of people in the house, and come that uh, come that Tuesday or Wednesday, following the the first day of starting, a lot more of the physical weight and volume that was in the house has now been removed from the house and if you're lucky enough you actually got some dollars to show for it too right so you right. got some you know if you have real special piece let's say obviously a lot of mm -hmm. you know dollars came in 
But even to the extent that you don't have enough for an actual um, estate sale, you still more things were removed from the house. Right, right. And you find this provides the next level of clarity of okay. moving forward is you can start to see that what's left is easy to dispose of because you've done it in this three-step process. Okay. And the third step is just no one wants it, can't give it away. And you really just want to bring in, there's lots of companies that do this. They just come in, they pack it up, they ship it out, they charge by sheer volume. Right. And uh, typically about $800 a truckload. These are large trucks. Think of it as like, you know, nine refrigerators with a right. volume. Right, right. And uh, they just, you know, they bring it to the landfill. Okay. So, so it, we, we've given away what family members want. Somehow we've gotten it to them where they come pick it up, we've shipped it to them. We've then gotten rid of the items that people may want to purchase or whether it be uh, some sort of consignment or a deal or however, we've, we've got that gone. And then we've got rid of the junk. And now I'm with an empty house. Yep. I've got this empty house, still in my possession, still paying taxes on it, still paying the bills on it. What's next? Got it. Next comes, what do we do to make the house as neutral and presentable as possible. We're really looking for what we call a blank slate. Okay. The now there's probably some listeners out there that have said, well, wait a minute, you removed all the furniture from the house. Wouldn't it have been better to sell the sell everything? Wouldn't it have been better to leave it in there? And we're typically gonna say that with the state properties, typically we're better off getting that furniture out. There might be a couple of nice pieces there, but the reality is we're better off getting it all out. That's not staging the house the way we think of staging the right, house. You right. can bring in professional staged furniture if that's what you want to right. do. Yeah, I don't think you want end. Yeah, I don't think you want the, uh, the, the sofa with the plastic yeah, yeah, right, covered right, couch right, that right. my mom added yes. that you never got to sit in with the museum piece, but we had it anyway. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we typically find it. So, so the house is actually better off empty at this point. Right. And there's a couple. It, his, nor, typically, we're going to find, does the house need painting? Yes. And it's just a fresh coat of paint on a house that's a neutral color does a tremendous amount for how it visually presents itself. So let me ask you a question here, because now we're starting to talk about another couple of thousand dollars with work. So let's say, Ron, I decide I want to sell this house and I come to you and I, and I guess at this point, you know, we want to get the house painted. Is this something that I'm responsible for paying for? Is this something that you would be responsible for paying for and it comes out of, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of confused. What, what do I do next? Sure. That, that, yeah. You know what's great about your questions that really sh we should really say is what does the family want done next because you have options at this point first off uh as a personal representative of an estate or the trustee you're probably getting tons of letters from what we call bottom fishers we'll buy your house all cash yeah, assets yeah, yeah, right yeah, yeah. they're all yeah, they're offers. Cash. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's typically not the best way to go because i mean it may seem quick and convenient and easy but you're giving a ton of money away mm -hmm. um your real next step, what you want to do is have a real estate agent come in and give you a sense of what do we think we can sell this house for just in its an existing condition, or should we be putting some money into it and selling it in that condition? The reason you want to look at both options is many homes are in areas that are being um, redeveloped or homes are even being torn down and replaced with new homes. And if the house is on a very large piece of land and it happens to be a smaller house that has a, a lot, a lot, a lot of, let's say, deferred maintenance, mm -hmm. that house is probably a good candidate 
to be sold to an investor that's going to fix it up or a builder that's going to tear it down. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if the house is on a smaller lot and it's a bigger house, and maybe even had an addition onto it, and it's still it's still dated. Let's give it that. Yeah. But it's in good. It's clean, right? The basement's yeah. not leaking. The roof's not yeah, leaking. It's right. That that house now is a candidate for some touch up work to reposition the resale. That, that's probably you know kind of like my parents' house. It's it's on that I guess eighth of an acre lot, a pretty standard lot. Um, it's in fair. I mean, it's in fairly good shape. It's not falling down and, and you're right it, it does need some maintenance as I kind of I think I mentioned it has the original hot water heating system in from 62 and it has that dated green bathroom with the tiles on right. it, the green tiles uh, yeah it probably does need a nice refresh so what so okay so that that, that really helps define it, it, what we want to do so but of course we'd have yeah. you take a walk through you know and helping us determine really what what would add the most value to right, it. Right, right. Because what, what you want as, as an agent, what you want to provide for your client in this case, is you want to provide, here's what other homes have sold for that were in similar condition to yours. And you can also, you can get a sense of what were the fixed up homes selling for. Right. So because that's your ceiling, you can't approach that ceiling. That's, that's if you were to put a lot of money into it, that's what you could get. Mm -hmm. But if you put that kind of money into the house, redoing kitchens and bathrooms, you're probably not going to get it back. Mm -hmm. But if you just, create a, a blank slate, the house is clean, it's painted, maybe the old shag carpeting's removed and just re replaced. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the house just looks that someone could move in and live in it. And yes, they may not like the cosmetics, but it's fine from a, a health, mm -hmm. safety, cleanliness perspective. Mm -hmm. And the walls are painted so that it's neutral. There's a good, solid, market for homes like that and they can sell quite fast you're not gonna have to carry this home for weeks and weeks and weeks and months okay. and months if you price it right it will sell pretty pretty reasonably fast so let me let me ask you i mean you haven't seen the house but what are some typical things if you don't mind me asking that you mentioned painting the walls and you mentioned a clean place but what are some other typical things that you would generally without seeing the house and not knowing the house of course but Generally, you say things there's, you There's certain do. patterns we see. There's certain patterns that we see over and over again, and these are patterns that tend to be. Um, sometimes, if somebody's aged in place, and maybe toward to, towards the end, certain maintenance items just maybe they didn't go in the basement in a really long time, and maybe that's just and maybe the gutters weren't kept up and clean as much mm -hmm. as they should have been. Certain things that we just see can happen. Maybe the shrubbery is sort of overgrown the windows at the front of the house, and it'd be nice to trim them back. So what we find we do is we can just make sure that we get the front appearance of the house from a landscaping perspective, just cleaned up. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about doing anything okay. radical, just cleaned up. So bushes trimmed. Bushes, yeah, the bushes. Uh, putting some mulch down and stuff. Yeah, it's just simple stuff. A lot of times we'll see the walkway sort of like each side of the walkway sort of got covered up from mm -hmm. growth on either side of it. The, the shrubbery, you know, that was in front of the house and low at one time has grown a little high and it's now covering up the windows and blocking natural light. There's probably... Um, blinds in the house that are no one they're not cosmetically what people want anymore we're better off just removing them mm -hmm. letting more natural light in uh, the uh, making sure that the gutters are just properly cleaned out and maintained and typically we're gonna find that the paint even if the paint's in good condition it's probably not a color that's that's that today's buyers looking for uh, and if there's some old carpeting old carpeting can sometimes come with smells that's yeah, just a normal yeah. thing over time we're just better off replacing it. Doesn't have to spend a lot of money on it, but it, but it goes a long way. And and 
you know, part of my parents' house have these hardwood floors. They're, I mean, they're a little warm, but they're in still good shape. Should, should they be like sanded and refinished or, or I, I is will, it really just kind of, it all depends? It all depends. Now, I will tell you that, wow, does that, that is one item that makes what we call a pop difference, where people walk in and they see uh, wood floors that have pop to them. Mm -hmm. That really does create a little bit of what we'll call, you know, wow factor, you know, right from the from the moment somebody enters. It's it's a function of what do you want to do and what's your budget. Right. And um, you you it's nice when you do it, not necessarily have to do it, but it's nice when you do it. Sometimes you want to look at what's the total package of what we're actually presenting mm -hmm. on the market. Is it a complete cosmetic redo? Just say, do we want to just save that for the next buyer? Or is this house, you know, maybe it was updated 20 years ago and all the kitchen equipment is still working perfectly fine, not the stuff you would buy today, but it's good enough. And maybe by just doing the floors, we're just going to attract that person who's um, wants to move into a house and isn't going to have much extra money left over once they're in and just giving it that little extra pop, maybe what exactly what, you know, tilts the scale there for them. So, you know, as I speak to Ron and, and, and think about this a little bit, so let's say we do a walkthrough and you, you, I decide you're the agent I want to represent me you're a great agent, you, you know what you're doing, you've been in the business a long time, you come in and you do a walkthrough and you say, okay, Joe, you know, um, we, we might be able to sell it as is, but you know, I think there's some things we really need to do. We need to paint the walls, we need to do, do some of the flooring, we need to um, uh, do one or two other little things. And there's a package of things. How do you wind up going about saying, you, you say to me, you know, we've got a, a general contractor that can do this for you, or we got someone who'll do the floors and someone will do this. And so I, what, how sure. do, what's the next step? Because there's a lot going there's on. There's a here. lot going on right. here. And I'm not the most knowledgeable about the floors being done right and, and, and you know, all that other stuff. The, here's what we have found. Being assigned the role of personal representative or trustee to dispose of the property in the state is a very taxing role. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot out of people. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time. There's emotional components that go to it. Um, and it's a lot, you're doing a, a number of activities mm -hmm. that you're not used to doing on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And so the learning curve on all of them is steep. And you've just described that. The role of a real estate agent is to minimize all of that okay. for the trustee or the personal representative right. so that they feel that they have someone who's giving them really good advice that they can just step into and say, mm -hmm. yes, of options A and B, I choose A, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And then they can then execute. They being the realtor can mm -hmm. execute on making that happen. So yes, on our team, the runs, uh, what we specialize in is actually having a team of people that are going to come in and we're going to get the estimates. We're going to get the people in there that we know. Okay. We're going to make sure the work's done. Gonna make sure it's done right on time on budget. That's our role. Well, that, that's, that's what we huge, do. Yeah, and that you know, to be honest with you, that that from my perspective, that's a huge relief that I have someone that I know that's going to handle these, and I just have to kind of sign the papers, which is important. And don't get me wrong, I'm not minimizing that, but that's really important to have that you have someone on your side who's looking out for you and making sure these things done. Because you know, I got a I got a busy job. I start at seven thirty in the morning. I finish at six at night. It's it's a long day for me. Right. This, and it's and this is a it, the learning curve on this is steep. Yeah. And and the and plus just think if you had to drive to the property back and forth, right. you're having to make just half of these decisions. You're just having another set of boots on the ground mm -hmm. that's doing this for you 
eyes in the you know eyes inside the house is just really helpful. So that's one of the things we do, and 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 what we you know in conjunction with fixing up the property, what we're going to call this a preparing mode. There's also another piece of it that goes hand in hand before you even start, and that's what do we think this home's really going to sell for? And there's a number of what we want to go through those exercises. And many times, even though the personal representative or the trustee is a, has the authority to make the decisions, many of the other family members want to be involved in that. And that's really important to have that sense of family building during this time and you know coming together in a positive way, because of course it can be otherwise. We've seen it can go either way. But what we do, what our role is, is just to lay out what does the market look like in, in where this property is? What does it look like in this zip code, this school district, this subdivision? What are the number of homes currently for sale? How many are currently under contract? How long are they taking to sell on average? What's the normal and typical discount rate? You know, if they're listing at, I mean, are things selling at 98% of list price or 99% or 97%? You know, what's typical? Where are the price breakpoints? Are things selling up to 600, up to 700, up to 800? We want to make sure that we're creating, and this is a lot of data in this, but our role here is to make sure that we're helping the family members collectively come to an agreement that based on what the data says, we're selling our house in either A, a seller's market, or B, a buyer's market. But more importantly, the price that we need to pick based on what other homes have sold for, which is really indicative of what the buyers are willing to pay, we think this is the best price to come on the market. So we want to take that information in conjunction with m matching that to how we're going to prepare the property for sale. Okay. All right. And so there's two things they happen. The, the educational moment of both those things can happen in one point in time, but then the actual fixing up of the property, the painting, et cetera, whatever we're choosing to do or not do, it's going to happen over the next several weeks. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I understand. All right. So, so, let me just take a step back, um, and, and I know we're really talking about getting rid of my child home, but before you, I, I'm assuming I have to sign some paperwork with you that says you're going to be my representative. Is that correct? Yes. And here, this is, people think of the word real estate agent. Agent. What does the word agent really mean? I, I don't know. Tell me. Nobody knows, right? They think it's just some person who earns a commission. Well, there's a lot more to it. Agent, I mean, there's a, there's a it, it means something in the law, it's the agent has a responsibility to represent the the fiduciary, the the the, the principal, the person they're working for. Mm -hmm. And what are the roles of an of an agent? Um, they're uh, they 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 need to disclose everything they know. Mm -hmm. They need to be truthful in all their dealings. They need to have uh, be loyal in what they're doing. Um, they uh, want to work with their principal in a way that the principal should always feel and know that their needs are being presented first over the needs of the agents. The agent's there to represent your interest, said in the fewest number of words. Okay. And you wanna make sure that's happening. And certain jurisdictions will say that an agency relationship cannot exist unless there's a written agreement. So therefore, you may be talking with your agent and working with the agent, but until there's an actual listing agreement signed to answer your question directly, the agency relationship does not exist by law. Once an agency agreement's been signed, now we have this, this um, higher level of service that the, the real estate agent has to perform to. It kind of reminds me of a podcast that I did previously, which was entitled, 
If it ain't in writing, it doesn't exist. So if I don't have you yeah. sign, you know, but, but, but I should reverse, I'd say by signing you, you are now responsible for carrying out X, Y, and Z on my behalf. You but, must do that by law. But that's, that's yeah. I mean, if, if somebody Again, was hired I, me and they didn't sign anything, of course we're still doing all those things. Right. But once you have something in paper, now it's a legal document okay. that says, hey, yeah. you have obligations here. Okay. Right. Okay. So, so we've, let's just take a step back for a moment. Okay. So we've, we've uncluttered the house, so to speak. We've given away the stuff to the relatives. We've sold whatever we don't want. We've trashed whatever we don't want. You and I have come to an agreement and I've signed some paperwork that says you and your office are going to represent me to the best of your ability. We've agreed that we're going to do certain things in the house. We're going to paint it. We're going to sand the floors. We're going to make sure all the light bulbs are in and things are clean and neat, etc. Now, now here's something I didn't mention to you, but you kind of alluded to this before. I have a sister. Right now, right. What, what I have a sister who lives not too far from here, but she doesn't want the house either. She's not interested in it. Um, do I have any worries that I, anything I have to worry about with, with my sister? Um, now, now, you know, about is she going to sue me? Is she going to sue you? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the most, what, what we want to always promote is family first, okay. right? And hopefully you, uh, and, and anyone that finds themselves in the same position as you, is that there should be open and continual communication with all the, uh, with all the siblings, especially if any of the siblings have any of their possessions are still in the property. Mm -hmm. Remember, we think of everything in the property as belonging to mom and dad, but it's also possible that some of those things belong to one right, of the siblings. Right, right. So we want to make sure that what's hers is hers and it gets to her, mm -hmm. and that, uh, unless so, she doesn't want it. And right? we've taken care of that, by the way. She's gotten everything she said yes. she wanted. She wanted my mom's wedding ring, and she got that, and she wanted the piece of pottery, and as you said, she wanted a couple of tchotchkes, and she got all those things. So she's... So, so this, yeah, the second piece of this, we find sometimes the sibling will have a very strong opinion on what the property should be worth, with no real actual knowledge of what other properties are selling for. If that's an okay position, but what we want to make sure happens is that is that she's that person is included in the conversations about okay. the market and that they're educated. So they're not going into, you know, well, I was told the neighbor's house sold for XYZ, so I expect XYZ. Right. Because it's it's that's a that's a it's a bad way to set an expectation. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. ask about that because even though I'm the the person who's responsible for all the financial issues, you know, the dad signed everything over and I was responsible for all of those sorts of things. I'm glad you brought that up to make sure that she's included in the conversation. Even though I have the, all the power of attorney, I'm the, I'm the person responsible for all of it. Uh, that that's really a good suggestion, making sure that that she's aware of what's going on and is in, I guess general agreement with everything. Right, I, I think it's it's healthy in that way. Um, you know, and we find it can go both ways. Some siblings will just say, you know, whatever you say, we trust, and others will they'll powwow and they'll have a conversation and they'll come back to me, you know, me with, well, this is what we want to do. And the most important thing is open and free flowing communication. Uh, and then things tend to work out well. And and that expectations are properly set because sometimes you get one, let's say there's three siblings and two say, you know, we want to price it right at market and then, and one wants to price it way above market and they're just digging in their heels and they're not going to budge. What, what has to be made clear is what is the probability of success? Mm -hmm. How much time are we going to give this position before we come off of it? 
what is a you, you want to create a strategy around helping these right. people get through this so the house doesn't get okay. stuck there sitting on the market for months and months with no uh without yeah. selling and it's really just going backwards and losing value as a function of yeah. sitting there because people are losing interest in it it reminds me of a story of my my mother-in-law who her friend sold her house at x dollars and my mother-in-law wanted to sell her house at the same exact price point and kept trying to explain it to ma your her house and your house are in two different areas you have your your two different places two different styles two different everything you can't expect to sell the house at that same price point but she was insistent yes. and and the worst part i hate i have to say this and this is great to have this conversation with you is that the agent led her to believe, the agent that she signed with, led her to believe that, yeah, I can sell it for that price, no problem. And and we told her you're not, and, and unfortunately she didn't. She couldn't sell it at that. She had to drop it quite a bit. Yeah. And that's really a sad, and I'm glad you're bringing this out because that's that's really important. Make sure everybody understands what's realistic, what's not realistic, et cetera. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it brings us to sort of this next evolution and what happens next. Yes. And that is the house is only going to sell for what the market deems it's worth. Mm -hmm. It's not what the appraiser says it's worth, not what the neighbor says it's worth, not what the siblings say it's worth. It's what the market, what someone who's coming to the house with the money mm -hmm. saying, I'll buy it. That, that's what it's worth. So the role of the agent is to help identify what we think that likely amount is. But the role of the agent goes beyond that and that how, what is it we need to do to make sure that the house is properly prepared, properly photographed, and properly promoted into the market so that that happens, so that you get the proceeds that you'd wanted to get. And that's where I think this whole level of professionalism of the agent that you're hiring really rises to its core. And so in our example, you know, in this situation that we're going through here, we've got a house that's now, everything's been removed, it's been thoroughly cleaned, mm -hmm. it's been painted, uh, fresh carpeting, the outside's been freshly, you mm -hmm. know, cleaned up, we'll call it. So, so now we have a presentable house. We can choose to stage it or not stage it. Staging does add value in that staging, people buy a house emotionally when there's, you know, what I call nice new furniture in the house, not the old stuff we got rid of. It, it can create- <laughs> the furniture a, with the plastic yes, on. Yeah, that's not gonna do the trick. But if we professionally stage a house, it can create some visual pop. Mm -hmm. But ultimately what we're looking for here is to get high quality, first class photography. And we're not talking about agent coming in with their iPhone. That's not what we're talking about. iPhones take great pictures, but these aren't the kind of pictures we're looking for. We need a professional photographer coming in with the right kind of lens that's designed to take pictures of houses that has a multiple exposure feature in it where we'll take each picture that it takes, it's gonna snap it five times at five different exposures and then computer generated, it's gonna even out the shadows, the natural shadows that occur in a room just because the way light hits it so we get really nice photographers. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't. I didn't think about that. I just thought you come around, you take a photo, the agent or whoever the agent sent out from the office here, go take some photos. You take take a dozen or two dozen photos, and boom, they go out. So that's really fascinating that you have a professional come in, take photo, and take five different ones, different exposures. That that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, we do that. Uh, not everyone does. Oh, that. Okay, okay. Okay. So that's a better way of saying it. Because if you look on pictures on the MLS, and, you'll see a variety of right. quality and lack thereof. Right. But I believe I believe that the role, when we talked about this concept of agency, where our job is to represent the, the owner, right. I, professional photography is, is one of those things that I think is inherent in that, mm -hmm. because that 
you know, we've all heard the phrase, a picture's worth a thousand right. words. So how are we going to promote this property? We're going to be promoting it in today's world digitally. And so we need the best digital imagery we can get. So now if you really step back to what we've done, what have we done? We've got everything out of the house. Mm -hmm. We've cleaned up the house. Mm -hmm. We did some light cosmetics to the house. Perhaps we've staged the house and now we've taken first class photography of the house. Now we have the digital, the digital imagery that we need to start promoting the house. Promotion only works if the house has been priced relative to where the market says it should be. And that was really, we talked about that a few moments ago, that now we've got a really nice product, properly presented, properly promoted at the right price. Mm -hmm. What do you think the outcome is going to be when you do that? You have it right. It should sell them fairly quickly. Yes. I mean, maybe a little haggling, but I, I guess it would sell fairly quickly. You know, a week, two weeks, maybe would probably be the optimal thing if it's priced right. Yeah. And we, we find for many of our listings uh, here in the, we're in the Washington, D.C. market where homes do tend to sell fast, that if we follow that pattern, 50 percent of the listings we take will sell in the first eight days. Wow. Which is really nice. That's, um, and that's that, quick. Well, it's, it's doing. So what we would like to say, good things will happen if you mm -hmm. do all the things that you need to do. Mm -hmm. Right. So by following this process that we've outlined, uh, that tends to be a natural outcome. We're not done yet. I mean, getting the house under contract, you know, this promotion piece is, you know, we're promoting it anywhere and everywhere. If somebody's looking for a house specifically in a digital medium. Um, but once that it, and what tends to happen is a buyer looks at the house online and they say, wow, that looks good. I want to see it. And so they either come with their own agent or they call mm -hmm. us up and we show it to them or perhaps there's an open house and they see it that mm -hmm. way. It doesn't matter. The point is we got to get them in the house. Right, right, right. Once we get them in the house, we want the buyer to have one. We want them to have a reaction of I really like it. I really want it. And most importantly, I'm scared somebody else likes it and wants it, too. If we can get that's the trifecta of selling a house, because if they're not worried that the house is going to sell to someone else, they're just going to think on it. They're going to sit on it. They're going to wait and see. But if they're scared someone else is going to buy it, they're going to tend to act fast. And everyone thinks, oh, it's all about negotiations. When you're a buyer getting ready to buy a house and you're scared someone else is going to buy it too, you're not so keen to negotiate a whole. You, you don't want to drag out any kind of, mm -hmm. of negotiations because you're worried you're going to lose the whole thing right. over a few thousand bucks. And when you're spending this kind of money, a few thousand bucks isn't worth it. Right. So right. that's where an agent, you can see another role where the agent, when they've done all of these things right, it really creates a nice outcome for their, their seller client. Okay. So client has walked through, a potential client looks at the house, says, hey, you know, I like this house. It's in a pretty decent neighborhood. It, it's not bad. Yeah, I might have to do, it's not my, my touches, but we'll repaint it, whatever needs to be done. They want to buy it. What's, what's the next step? So, so typically, the typical next step is that that buyer will have their own agent. That would be probably 90% of the time. And that agent will help them prepare a written offer. Offers, all offers should be in writing. And that offer is going to contain a few terms that are really important. The terms are going to be the, the price that they're offering, the settlement date, uh, and the, where the, uh, the size of their earnest money deposit, where the settlement's going to take place, what the title company is going to be, along with a few contingencies. And those contingencies are going to generally be a home inspection where okay. they have the right to inspect the property okay. and look for defects and then ask the seller to fix them or give money to fix them at least. A, an appraisal contingency to make sure that the house appraises for value. Okay. A financing contingency, making sure that the buyer can get a loan. Okay. 
usually they can at this point, but you want to make that they the buyers want sure, that contingency as, yeah, yeah. as a protection. A radon uh, contingency. There's mm -hmm. radons a naturally occurring gas in this mm -hmm. area. That's you don't want long-term exposure to it at right. high levels. Want to make sure that the, if the house has it, it's easy to get rid of it. You just want to make sure it doesn't have it right. at high levels. Um, and those uh, those tend to make up the pool of contingencies that we find are typical in most offers that we receive. The role of the of the listing agent, of your agent in this case, is to negotiate those terms as best as possible in the okay. seller's favor. Okay. Okay. Is it is it unusual? Does it happen that the same office will represent both the buyer and seller? Is that something that's a no-no to do? I mean, I don't I don't know. So I'm that's, asking this question. I mean, you know, you hear of law firms say you can't rep you know, you can't represent both sides. You can only represent one side. What about here in the, in the real estate? Real estate is, the, is not the same as a law firm. Okay. That, that you, are, you are correct in, in saying that a law firm can, can only represent, you know, either the plaintiff or the defendant. Right. They can't be both at the same time. That would be, a prohibit, that would be prohibited by the, the, the bar's rules. Mm -hmm. However, uh, with respect to real estate brokerage, that's very common practice because it's so common that any large brokerage, the likelihood that uh, that the sellers chose that brokerage, and that a buyer agent, uh, that a, a buyer chose someone, another person, not the same person from that brokerage, is a high probability of happening, right? And so we call that um, dual agency, but it must be disclosed. Mm -hmm. In other words, the seller has to upfront give permission to allow another agent from that same brokerage to show the property as a buyer agent. So they give permission up front before they even enter the property. Okay. And then upon the presentation of an offer, uh, that disclosure has to be remade again and signed. And both times it's signed so that both the buyer signing it, the seller signing it, and all parties are aware that this relationship exists. Okay. Confidentiality, which is one of the core principles of agency, must be maintained at all time between the the, the people that, you know, if you tell me something confidential, right. it stops with me. Right. I don't share it. Right. And that's yeah. why I've asked that question, because if you're both from the same agency, you know, I think the worry that I would have is that you're both going to start talking to each other and saying, you know, Joe, Joe's, Joe's willing to, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll go up another 30 grand. Uh, and you don't want that because you want to, you know, you, you know if you're buying, you're, you're looking to buy it at the best price you can. And the seller, of course, is looking to sell it at the best price they can, and you don't want people behind your back talking. And so that, I'm glad you explained that because that has always been a concern that I, you know, if I, if I do the same agency, you know, a concern right. I would have. So, so the thing about the role of both agents in this case, the role of the selling, the listing agent mm -hmm. is to promote the property. So they want to be out there talking to buyer agents, hey, I have this great property. Mm -hmm. Now, what they don't mm -hmm. want to do, they don't want to break the confidentiality Oh, they'll take fifteen thousand dollars less, mm -hmm. right? That would be a no-no and a right. violation of agency rules. But promoting it is exactly what you hired that person right. to do. Okay. On the other hand, those those buyer agents out there are saying, "Hey, do you have any houses for sale that you think might work for me?" So they're promoting their mm -hmm. buyer's interest, and and they should, oh, you know, in this price range works for them. But you, they they never want to sort of tip the hat too far mm -hmm. where they're. Um, saying, oh my gosh, they love it, and they they lost out on three other houses, and they're going to want to pay full price, and they'll do anything to get right. it. That would be tipping the hat too right, far, right, right. right? So you need to you need to keep these things in balance. Okay. Okay. And after that, what's next? So, so 
we've got a buyer, we've got a seller, we've come to an agreement on a price. Yes. So what will happen? So uh, there'll typically be a home inspection, which will be a second round of negotiations. Not home inspections uh, don't have to be huge dollar amounts, but it, I, typically I would tell a seller if the if the home inspection negotiation value ends up being one percent of the sales price or less, of course we still may want to negotiate it and work with it. Okay. But just it's one percent. Let's just keep it in perspective, right? Mm -hmm. um, that this is not. You know, and sometimes on upper bracket homes, one percent can be a lot of money. Yes, but but it, but it's still one percent, and one percent is one percent. So if it's uh, what we don't want is the home inspection negotiations to go where the whole deal starts going sideways because people are getting in this for that over small amounts of mm -hmm. money. You want to try and wrap them up pretty right. quickly. Right. Right. Most home inspections go just fine. We now enter this period where the title company is going to be doing the title search and the title uh, of the property to make sure of a, a number of things. Did, in your case, mom and dad actually own the property? Mm -hmm. Did they actually die? Was there a uh, personal representative or a trustee assigned to this? And are they the legitimate person that now has the authority to sell? remember we're transferring a deed the, the, the land ownership is, is conveyed in a deed from from whoever currently owns it to the next buyer and so that process of title search is designed to uncover is the person that's giving and signing the deed have the legal authority to do it right because on the other side of a deed the buyer is putting up a lot of money yes. and typically a mortgage and they want to know when I part with this money I want to know that I got something for it right. because in this, this as I say this is probably the biggest purchase of your life. It, you know, if, you're, if you're buying yes, it, this is going to be always. the biggest purchase, yes. yes. So there will be a, quite a bit of paperwork that the title company is going to want from from you in this case. They're going to they're going to they're going to want to see the death. They're going to they're going to do their own search mm -hmm. for the history of the deed, mm -hmm. but they're going to want to see the death certificates. They're going to see if the property's in a trust. They want to see the mm -hmm. trust documents. They're going to want to see. Uh, um, if it's personal, uh, if it's a probate scenario, they want to see the courts where the, the probate's actually been, you know, assigned into who's who's doing it. So a little bit of paperwork has to transfer back and forth just to make this run its course. Mm -hmm. It's a it should not be a drawn out issue. It's just a matter of having it and delivering it to the title company that's doing the title search. That should run with no issues. Every once in a while, mom and dad had a mortgage way way back when that got paid off way way back when that never got released in the land records. And it, so the reason we want to get these documents and everything we need to the title company's way in advance is because when this issue surfaces, it just it takes time to fix it. You just can't fix it in a day. The title company has ways of fixing it and they'll take care of it, but we can't get them everything last minute because then we haven't given them the time to fulfill their duties in time for settlement. And so this is why I think it's, it's so important that that you have certain documents and that you know where you have those documents. So in, in my case, making sure that, you know, mom and dad told me where the mortgage papers, where's the payment records, all of those sorts of things. It's important to have it, keep it in a safe place and make certain that other people know where it is. So in case anything happens to you, we have it, we know it, we got yeah. it. There's no problem in the future. Right, right. It does, and we're talking about a low, probability of occurrence, but when it occurs, it has a high impact of aggravation. Right. So to the extent that we have any old mortgage information specifically, it is can be helpful in the right. event that this okay. low probability of occurrence happens. Right.
because it's just going to simplify your life. The, like I said, the title company does most of the legwork on this, but to the extent we can help them, it's huge. Sure. The process from here tends to go quite smooth. Um, the buyer will be doing their loan preparation, and the, the, the appraiser will come out. The surveyor will typically come out. Uh, and But from a seller's perspective, your next um, big event is going to be the signing of documents. Okay. And for many uh, sellers in this case, sometimes they live, you know, in this case, you live near the property. But that's not always the case. Sometimes the person that's the personal representative of the trustee could be hundreds of miles away. All the documents can be signed here locally with the title company, or they can be signed wherever the, the, the trustee or the personal representative lives. They do need to be signed in front of a notary. Okay. So they get notarized and then we, we uh, and they overnight it back to the title company. The buyer comes in and they sign their purchasing documents, of which much of that has to do with the loan that they're getting. And that's the, you know, the, the, uh, the promissory note they're signing and the deed of trust mm -hmm. that they're signing. And the title company is going to prepare something called the closing disclosure or HUD-1. It just depends on, on what they're using okay. on particular circumstances. And this is another role of, when we talked about agency, one of the roles of agency is accounting. So where's the money coming from and where's the money going to and how much is going to end up in the estate's bank account? Because remember, the, the, the seller's the estate, it's right. not you. Right. So the money's going to the estate's bank account, not your bank account. But you want to see this was the gross proceeds that were coming in, the mm -hmm. sales price, right? plus any reimbursements, reimbursements that the were owed, for example, prepaid property taxes or prepaid condo fees, anything like that get reimbursed, minus the transfer and recordation taxes that are appropriate for um, the county and the state, minus the real estate commissions that that the agent's charging. And my, there's typically about 500 to to $1,000 of what are called miscellaneous fees to the title company. So we wanna look at all the money coming in, see where all the money's going and see how much is left and make sure that what's left is actually making it you know, to, to the seller's right. uh, bank account. Okay. And that, um, and bring the keys. We always say, don't forget <laughs> to bring the keys. <laughs> you know, Because the buyer, that's their, they're all they're gonna say is, where are my keys? That's you know? right. So wanna make sure we bring the keys. Um, but that's the cycle. Well, that's that's amazing and, and really unbelievable. It's I think the, the key here in doing this entire cycle is really making sure that you have an agent, your representative, who really knows what they're doing, has the right experience to walk you through the entire process. Someone that I, who wants to sell my parents' house, can trust, know that everything is going to be done right, it's going to be done the right way, that I don't have to worry about it. And, and the key is like in anything that I learned long ago, you know, you get what you pay for. If you want someone good, you have to pay for it. But I think it, the amount of time, energy, frustration, anger, all gets reduced if you, you've got the right person doing the right job and it just saves you so much. And yeah, you may pay a little bit more, but in the end, it's all worth it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, there's there's another part of this. Remember, we talked about at the very opening of this conversation. We said it's both an emotional mm -hmm. piece and there's a financial piece. And we started this conversation with the emotional Emotion, piece. Yes. yes, we did. And then we went through all the transactional right. stuff that gets that's that's all leading to transactional things mm -hmm. we got to do that lead to the financial piece. Right. I have personally been through this, 
And I will, and I will tell you that there's also a sense of closure mm -hmm. on this emotional piece. And, and, and it's um, some of the clients that I've worked with, you know, some of our, my peers that have gone through this as well. There's a element, they call it, it's bittersweet. It's, of course, it's yeah. bittersweet because, uh, bittersweet. you know, this legacy, uh, the, the land legacy yeah. has transferred now to a, mm -hmm. to, a new, uh, mm -hmm. to a new buyer. And that's what I'm going to call the life cycle of housing where, you know, somebody had it, they lived in it, they, they perhaps, you know, everything that happened in that yeah. house, you know, happened in that house. And, yeah. and now it's passing to a new yeah. buyer and they're going to begin the next life right, cycle right, right. of that house and improvements and, 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 and cherish it as they mm -hmm. see fit. But it brings closure to the existing family that was the selling part of it. And it passes um, the legacy of cash on. Mm -hmm. And, and so the legacy of land is a very nice legacy. Mm -hmm. And the legacy of cash is an equally yes. nice legacy because it allows the, the family members now to do certain things that they may not have been able to do mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. We have found that many of our buyer clients, when you say, where's your down payment for the home coming from? Oh, we just sold mom and dad's right. house and I have this large down payment and right. that's how we're gonna buy it. And, it. and it begins this whole life cycle of housing, this whole mm -hmm. emotional piece. Mm -hmm. And so even though the seller in this case was selling something. The, the, on, mm -hmm. uh, that house was in a life cycle of them selling an older home mm -hmm. and to a perhaps a, a, a new, new oh, family yeah, or a yeah. couple, whatever it is. Yeah. Then these sellers now have a bucket of cash to sort of begin another yeah. life cycle on another house. Yeah. And that's that's how all this sort of ties yeah. together. And, and just one last thing before we end today is, in other words, life cycle. You know, we bought a house from a, a very a, probably a couple about maybe a little bit younger than me, their children have moved out. They've actually come back once or twice to see the house. They come by and we'll look and we'll say, buddy, what are you, what are you doing here? He says, well, I missed the house. I wanted to see it. But he realizes it's it's our house, but, you know, it's kind of that, that sentimental thing. So, Ron, how does someone, not me, of course, but how does someone get a hold of you to say, hey, Ron, I, I loved what you said today. I, I really, really resonates with me. You made this very clear. How do they get a hold of you and your team to kind of sit and talk with you and, and help say, hey, you know, we, I think we, we might like to have you as our agent? Sure. Uh, so they can reach uh, a simple place just to go visit is our website. Mm -hmm. That's ronsitrin.com, spelled R-O-N-S-I-T-R-I-N.com. Mm -hmm. Or always feel free to call me. My cell phone is 202-321-4677. Excellent. I'd love to hear from, you know, we'd love to hear from people. That's what we do. Yes. And, and as I said, Ron, as I said, in my, my network group is great. He has great insights. He's, he's someone that is really and truly a professional. I, I really it, it might get that gut feeling, you know, that gut feeling of, of someone who's good, knows what they're doing, knows what they're talking about. And Ron it, it seems to be one of those guys. So, Ron, once again, thank you so much for, for spending the time with me to talk about how you do things, what to look for, how the whole process works. I, I really greatly appreciate this. And, and just once again, this is signing out. Uh, and again, thanking Ron. This is Joseph Barone uh, with A Fool for Learning. Always remember, learn, perform, succeed.